Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you and um, great to see all of you here today. And um, I want to say a special greeting to my friend Vince uh, and his wife, Chris. And uh, they've come all the way from Ann Arbor. He said he might be coming, and I didn't know until I got here. So, but they're here, and uh, blessed, blessed to be here with them. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. And we're going to be reading this morning, verses 37 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come today acknowledging that our help is in your name, your holy name, that you are the maker of heaven and earth and that you never forsake the work of your hands. And we pray today that you will give us receptive minds and responsive hearts to your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing the series that we began a month ago which I am entitling Steadfast Continuance. And it's based upon the 42nd verse. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread 
and in prayer. In the first message, we learned that steadfast continuance requires a genuine beginning. And we discussed how it is absolutely necessary for a person to be born again by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just an empty profession of faith. This is a miracle wrought by God. Every conversion is a miracle of God. You and I cannot make ourselves born again. We need to have grace, sovereign grace, come upon us and open our understanding and cause us to be willing because we are dead in trespasses and sins apart from the grace of God. And it is only then that a person is truly converted through faith in the gospel And at that point, we know that they will persevere to the end. For salvation is a work of God for man, not a work of man for God. Now, in the second message, we learned that steadfast continuance requires commitment to the truth. That is the body of doctrine entrusted to the apostles by Jesus Christ. We are to be learning the truth in the local church, living the truth in the world, and loving the truth in the home. And now we come to this third message, and the main thought is this, steadfast commitment, or steadfast continuance rather, requires commitment to the church's fellowship. Steadfast commitment. Continuance requires commitment to the church's fellowship. Now briefly for our recollection, let us remember that this term in the King James Version, steadfast continuance, can also be translated continually devoting oneself to, as is rendered in the New American Standard Bible. So this is to be a personal Commitment of devotion of every Christian, of every believer. And let us also recall to our memories that the term church refers to the local assembly. The term is ekklesia in Greek. Maybe you've heard of that before. It means a called out assembly. No doubt this is talking about the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit, whereby he calls out individuals, and then these individuals comprise a local congregation in a specific place and time. So this is a church in the true sense of the word. Now, while the term church is not used in this passage, It is what is being referred to. So, therefore, a Christian is to exhibit steadfast devotion. Listen carefully. A Christian is to exhibit steadfast devotion to the fellowship of a local church. Now, that's not in vogue today. We're living in a time that is unparalleled. 
We're seeing people today who call themselves Christians who are basically nomads. They, they travel from church to church. They really don't settle down. They attend a service and they think that's great and they go on their uh, way and there's really no steadfast commitment. That's foreign to the New Testament. The New Testament in no way teaches that. I remember speaking to a man of a church I pastored, and he had been coming for almost a year. And I finally um, talked to him in the foyer, and I said, so-and-so, you've been coming for a year. Um, Have you thought about joining the church? And in fact, I got a little more bold about it, and I said, you know, you really should consider joining the church. That would be biblical. We, We want you to join the church. And he bristled up and he says, well, I'm, I'm a member of the body of Christ. I don't need to join the local church. So I said, would you be willing to receive some instruction on this? So I gave him a couple books. And I think they offended him and he didn't come back. And I called and he didn't respond. I think finally he did respond and he said he was thinking about it, but he never came back. And so... These are challenges for pastors. I mean, you know, some of you who are 50 and older perhaps remember that church membership was kind of just assumed. You know, you went to church, you joined the church. And today it's very different. So we need to be reminded of our responsibility as Christians to be committed to the fellowship of the local church. Now, what does this mean, and what does this look like? And I'm going to talk about that in this message. And the first uh, way, or the first way this um, looks, or or we could say it means this, it's a commitment to biblical church membership. So, steadfast devotion to the fellowship of a local church means having a commitment to biblical church membership. If you study through the New Testament and you look at names of people, you cannot find a name of a believer in the New Testament epistles who was not attached to a local congregation. They were church members. Therefore, church membership is very important. Church membership is exclusive in its constitution. Now, I don't mean the paper uh, that we have that is, has our bylaws and things. I'm talking about the mode by which it's organized. Church membership is exclusive in that way. In the New Testament, a local church was composed of baptized believers who voluntarily joined themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. First of all, they were believers, those who repented of their sins and called on the name of the Lord in faith for salvation. Acts 2.37, in Peter's sermon, uh, which he gave on the day of Pentecost, in response to that sermon, they were convicted, in verse 37, and 
They said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So they were believers, repentance and faith. That's the prerequisite for becoming a church member, the first prerequisite. We'll talk about the second in a minute. So it's not a social club. It's not a place that we just come to listen or to hang out. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a place to just play games. And we really, it isn't about a place of games for that matter. It's not a, a place for um, just being with your friends. It, it's a play, it's a spiritual organism. It's the body of Christ. And to be a part of a church means that one needs to be a part of the body of Christ, spiritually born again. My friend, today I, I would ask you, do you know Christ? Not know about him, but do you know him? Has there been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and trusted Christ sincerely? Where you have become regenerate? Do you hunger after righteousness? Do you long for the things of God? This is important. You cannot truly be committed to a church if you're not saved. And so church membership is exclusive in its constitution, in the mode by which it's organized, in that believers. It's not, you don't become a member of a church just by being born into a church member's family. That's not how you become part of the body of Christ. You need to be born again, and it has to be personal. Secondly, baptism. Notice he says repent, so that's synonymous with faith, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now, I want to touch on this for a moment. I'm going to get to baptism in a minute, but Sometimes people will look at this for the remission of sins and they're saying, well, is he talking about being baptized to receive the forgiveness of sins like the Church of Christ teaches? No. You always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Scripture teaches clearly that we are justified by faith alone, not by works. The critical word in this phrase is the word for which may also be translated with a view to. So you could translate this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, with a view to the remission of sins. Or because of the remission of sins. So remission of sins comes to the believer, whoever believes. And believers are baptized in view of God's work of forgiveness, not in order to receive forgiveness. You recently, a few months ago, had a baptism. And it's a public declaration of faith. The person already made a private declaration of faith when they accepted Christ as Savior. Now they're coming publicly in front of the local congregation testifying of being born again. And baptism is 
by immersion. The term baptizo means to dip or to plunge. And you never find an example of a baptism by sprinkling in the New Testament. You don't. It's by immersion. And it portrays, it's a picture, it's an ordinance that shows what happens to a person spiritually when they're born again. The, the old life passes away and the new has come. They're transformed. They're a new creature. So if you look at Acts 8, chap, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, uh, we see this, that baptism follows conversion. Verse 12, but when they believed, this is Philip the evangelist in Samaria, it says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Baptized. Now, look down, if you will, at verses 35 to 39. Now, I'm going to use a text here that some think is controversial. Some think that some of it's not in the original. I personally believe it is. I think there's textual support for this. And I'm just going to read it. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So church membership is exclusive in its constitution, the mode in which it's organized. It's composed of believers who are baptized by immersion. Secondly, church membership is inclusive in its composition. The gospel would soon move out of Jerusalem and God would show the apostles that the body of Christ would be composed of Jews and Gentiles. Later, the Apostle Paul would write to the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse does not negate the roles of men and women in the home and in the church. But it does, however, establish the truth that, God, that God's gospel is available to all and that local churches are not to have any racial, gender, or class barriers in their membership. If you notice earlier, we read that, that they baptize both men and women. So we're all one in Christ. There's no barrier. It's inclusive in that way. Thirdly, church members 
ship is conclusive in its covenant. While Baptist churches hold to sole authority, the sole authority of the Bible for its faith and practice, a doctrinal statement of faith and a covenant statement of practice reflecting the teachings of the Bible are good to have. And I've seen that Harbor Church has that, and that's good, and that's good. Now, Paul admonished, for example, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.10 to speak the same thing. And this is where not only a doctrinal statement is helpful, but a church covenant. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What this means is, is a local church is to be moving in the same direction spiritually. And while these parameters are to be conclusive, in other words, the church should be clear about this, it's incumbent upon each church member to first check oneself to see whether he or she is upholding the church's faith and practice through conducting themselves biblically and spiritually. I want to read to you a pretty standard church covenant in Baptist churches. And I read this because sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, as a pastor for 20 years, I've seen it many times, people sometimes get a little axe to grind. And they, and they want to let everybody know about it. And they want to stir things up. And as a pastor, when that happens, I will often refer to this and say, okay, you might have an issue, but are you conducting yourself? Are you holding to your promise of what you promised when you joined the church? And if they're honest, they'd have to say no. And at that point, I say, go back to the covenant. You, you first handle what's going on with your heart, and then we'll address it right in the right way. Okay? This is what it says. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion, 
to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and in distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. I would say that most Baptist churches have a covenant like this. And when you and I join a Baptist church, that's what we're promising to do. We have a a belief, our doctrinal statement, but we also have a practice based upon that doctrine. And that's reflected in the church's covenant statement. So a Christian is to exhibit steadfast devotion to the fellowship of a local church. And first, this means having a commitment to biblical church membership. Secondly, it means maintaining a commitment to biblical fellowship, biblical fellowship. Notice what it says in Acts 2.42. It says, they, were steadf- they steadfastly continued in the fellowship. And in the Greek, all of these terms, doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers, they all have the definite article, the, in front of it. So you could literally read it. They steadfastly continued in the fellowship. So this is koinonia, koinonia. I like what Albert Barnes had to say about this. He wrote, the word rendered fellowship, koinonia, is often rendered communion. It properly denotes having things in common or participation, society, friendship. It may apply to anything which may be possessed in common or in which all may partake. Thus, all Christians have the same hope of heaven, the same joys, the same hatred of sin, the same enemies to contend with. Thus, they have the same subjects of conversation, of feeling, and of prayer, or they have communion in these things. So a church's fellowship, now while we all have different interests, um, maybe sports and, and things like that, um, that's not the basis for our fellowship. The basis for our fellowship is Christ and the things of Christ and the truth of Christ. Now believers are to express their commitment to the maintenance of the biblical fellowship of the local church by, first of all, publicly meeting together on the first day of the week for corporate worship. Again, this is not in vogue today. Um, When the church has a meeting, 
we should be there unless providentially hindered. If our schedule doesn't allow for it because of work, if we're sick, okay. But unfortunately, a lot of believers just kind of pick and choose what they want to do. And we ought to be looking at going to church as a privilege and, and eager to go. Um, we should want to go, not have to go. And so, Paul, we read about this in Acts chapter 20, verses 6 to 12. We see the believers meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the Lord's Day. And it says here that they were in Troas, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, which we're going to talk about what that is tonight, the Lord's table, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. Now I promise you I won't continue till midnight. But there, um, you know the story. There was a young man, Eutychus, who fell asleep. So I'm not the only one that has people fall asleep. <laughs> and he fell down and he, you know, he was dead and Paul revived him to life. It was a miracle. But the point is they were meeting on the first day of the week to hear the word of God to break bread. And they were there. Uh, we read about the meeting of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, on the first day of the week. Uh, they met, um, and Paul talks about the collection for relief. Um, Paul speaks of the Corinthians publicly meeting on the Lord's Day uh, for the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, we, we know that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation 1. So Sunday is the Lord's Day. I'm going to say that again. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's not my day. It's not your day. It's His day. And it is to be set apart for the public meeting of the local church for orderly worship. Let all things be done decently and in order. We have to, listen, we've got to take our cultural glasses off, brothers and sisters, and we've got to put on biblical glasses. The church in America today is in trouble because Christians are not taking these things seriously anymore. We need to get back to the basics. We need to be committed to the fellowship of the local assembly. Now, believers are to express their commitment to the maintenance of the biblical fellowship of the local church. Secondly, by corporately serving together for the advancement of the gospel. It warms my heart greatly, brothers and sisters, to hear about and to see that you are meeting on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for soul winning, for evangelism. That, that's exciting. I mean, that is tremendous. And you're doing it. And God is going to bless this church even more for that. People are going to come to Christ. 
It's inevitable. The Word of God will not return void. And I, I don't have anything but praise to say for that, that you folks want that and you come to that for soul, for evangelism training. That is, I mean, for any pastor, that's just, that will bless their heart and it will bless the church. So I say this to you, not as an admonishment, but as an encouragement. I think you're on your way. You, you want to exercise your gifts and talents to serve the Lord. But there may be some of you here today who don't see it that way. And I just want to encourage you that the church is not a place to simply come and listen to sermons and sing songs. It is a place to serve the Lord with your fellow believers to carry out the Great Commission. Again, the church is not a social club. It's a spiritual body, the body of Christ. Now, the limitations of this message forbid me from taking the time to discuss the various spiritual gifts that God has gifted believers with to advance the gospel and edify the church. But we can ascertain that the believer is to be actively involved and engaged in the ministry of the church. It isn't just for the full-time elder. It's, it's for all of us. All of us can partake and participate in the advancement of the gospel. I just want to read a few verses here. One that I came across the other day in my Bible reading, 2 Chronicles 15, 7, the prophet Azariah exhorted King Asa, Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak. That is, let not your hands drop. That's what it literally means. For your work will be rewarded. Paul wrote the Corinthians. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He later, or he earlier admonished the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season. We shall reap if you faint not. I want to encourage you. I've been here over the course of a few months and I'm, I'm encouraged every time I come here. Why am I encouraged? Because I see a people here that love each other. I see a people here that want to serve the Lord. I see a people here who are dedicated to the ministry of the gospel. People have been saved. People have been baptized. People are coming. Um, they want to hear the word. You don't have to be bribed to come. I don't have to promise you candy to come. <laughs> you're here because you love God. And you're serious about the Lord. That's hard to find in these days. So I want to encourage you. Stay the course. God is with you. God is going to bless you. Now... Again, 
a Christian in his exhibit steadfast devotion to the fellowship of a local church. What does this mean? What does it look like? It means having a commitment to biblical church membership. It means having a commitment to the maintenance of biblical fellowship. Thirdly, it means having a commitment to the manifestation of Christian love. That's what we find at the end of chapter 2. And we read about this in verses 43 to 47. I'm not going to read through that right now. We've already read it. But sometimes people will get hung up on the signs and wonders part and they stay there. But if you read the rest of the uh, rest of the passage, you see the Christians expressing their love to one another. Now, this doesn't teach, as some people teach, socialism. I'm going to clarify that. Um, that's not what it teaches. These were believers who had been expelled from the synagogue, and they were trying to help one another and love one another. That's what it's teaching, the Christian love. Listen carefully, the major impact of the church in Jerusalem on the unsaved around them was not the manifestation of signs and wonders of the apostles. That was simply an authentication of the word of the gospel, that it was from God, a sign to the Jews. Rather, the major impact of the church was the manifestation of Christian love among its membership. In fact, Jesus taught this, he said this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, all men, all people, will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how Holland and the surrounding area will know that you are disciples. It's by your love for each other. It's true of every church, of every place, of every time. The greatest need in the church today is not manifestations of signs and wonders which ceased after the apostolic age. Baptists are cessationists. True Baptists are. But the manifestation of Christian love among believers in the local churches, that's the greatest need. The greatest need. Listen to these words as I close. What is love? Listen to what Paul said. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. 
It does not seek its own way, is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for the fellowship that we have with you and with one another. I pray your blessing upon this dear flock, Lord, here at Harbor Church. I pray that they would steadfastly continue in their commitment to the church's fellowship by being devoted to biblical church membership, to the maintenance of biblical fellowship, and that they would be committed to manifesting Christian love. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your strength. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.